Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, November 12th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am in the house with Steve Say. Hello. Mr. Bob Ryer. Hey. On the line with Stephanie Cook. And once again, Justin Townsend is here. Hola. It's almost like we're recording this right after we record the last one. It's almost. Almost like that. Watch out now. This is weird. We had five people on the show for three straight weeks. <laughs> I'm going to be sad when I'm not on the show after I know. so oh. many weeks. I know. I know. It's going to be, it's going to be weird not having you here. Um, so this week on the show, uh, we are going to be doing a book club of sorts. Uh, if you've heard of the last couple of years, the last year, especially, um, a few of us, uh, Stephanie, I think the, the first and foremost of us has been getting really into the Mignola verse, the Hellboy verse. Um, two of her favorite books from the last year were, um, in that, in that universe, BPRD, Vampire, and, uh, the Midnight Circus. And uh, when we were kind of planning out these shows um, to try to figure out what we were going to do, I thought it'd be a good idea to, to go back to the very beginning of Hellboy, because we talked about it for a while, right? We had talked mm-hmm. about trying out that earlier stuff, and, and I thought, what better than go back to the very, very beginning, uh, which would be Hellboy Seed of Destruction, uh, which is a four-issue um, series that came out in 1994. Um, it's conceived and illustrated by Mike Magnolia, but it's written and scripted by John Byrne. Um, and it was a, I guess, huge moment in the comic book world. I mean, I want to start with you, Bob, and just ask you, um, do you remember when Hellboy came out? Yeah. What I can't remember is where I put my copies. I had to go buy another (laughs) one. There's a whole box of Dark dark Horse stuff with all my Sin Cities that has gone missing. (laughs) It's fallen into that place where my socks go in the dryer or something, but (laughs) they're gone. Because it was burned, I picked it up, and... I remember liking it at the time. I bought some of the other ones, and then it just sort of went away until the movie came out. And rereading it, I am stunned at how great it was and why I didn't keep up. I don't know what possessed me. (laughs) So if you guys don't know the story of Hellboy, um, it starts out in World War II, where um, the Nazis are... I mean, it's historically known that they were trying to going after, I guess Mm -hmm. you have to say, a cult stuff they were trying yes. to figure out any way they possibly could if you've to, seen raiders Eleanor. it's the truth yeah exactly um and this deals with them coming to england to try to do something the, the and the english american forces are there to try to stop them um one of the members is obviously professor broom home mm-hmm. um who ends up adopting this demon child who appears out of nowhere um and that is where everything begins and then as we fast forward we're into um, the present day where Hellboy is a grown man and if you've seen mm-hmm. the movies very much in, in that sort of frame and um, I should tell you now if you're listening to this obviously it's a book club about it so we're going to spoil the hell out of, yeah. of Hellboy's Seed of Destruction so if you haven't read it yet now's the time to stop read it and, and come back and check it out um, Professor Rumon, uh comes back from some mission where he's been missing for many months <clears throat> and ends up dying in front of Hellboy and the the rest of the book takes him on a mystery on trying to figure out what happened to Bruhelm and leads into who Hellboy is and the nature of the character. Um, so I want to kind of go around the room and get kind of overall impressions of the book and also kind of pre-Hellboy knowledge if you had read anything else or done anything else. Okay. Justin, I want to start with you. Um, what what was your previous Hellboy experience and what did you think of this book? I saw the movies. Okay. That was it. Uh, I've always been interested in Hellboy. It's just, it's a lot to catch up on. Mm-hmm. Uh, while we were at Comic-Con, uh, we were having this same discussion, and um, what was it we picked up? We picked up BPRD Vampire, and what was it, the the one that, uh, the night? Mid- Midnight Circus. Midnight Circus. Yeah. And I haven't got to read them yet. I'm excited to read them. Um, but that was it for me. Like, I, I had only 
watch the movies. So when uh, you had told me about this, I was excited. I, I wanted to go ahead and start. So I found volume one. And it was much different than the movie. And when I, I had started issue one of this volume like a year ago, I picked it up on the Dark Horse app. And it started out almost identical to the movie. So I'm like, oh, they must have had like a very close adaptation. And then you find out, not really. It, it, in the middle, it kind of takes like a big swing away, which I liked. I like. I actually liked this ver- like the book version, much more than the mo- uh, the movie version. And uh, I want to read volume two now. Cool, cool. Steve, what about you? Uh, let's see. Past Hellboy stuff. Uh, well, definitely on Stephanie's recommendation, I read The Midnight Circus. And uh, I had been reading BPRD Vampire when it was coming out and really enjoyed that. Beyond that, it's been like maybe like a mini here and there. Um, like some of like the, uh, what the hell is it called? <sighs> I can't give me a second. It's the, the, the witch, the, um, ah, Bill, Bill Willingham's written about her. God, ah, I can't <laughs> Shit, forget it. Um, I haven't had much exposure to, it's going to come to me and I'm going to freak out. It's just <laughs> scream it. Um, the Hellboy seat of destruction turned out to be, I thought that I had read this like a while ago. And then picked it up uh, earlier this afternoon and was like, huh, like I've never read this before. And that's kind of weird because I think the first Hellboy thing that I read officially was Hellboy in Hell that mm-hmm. came out, I think, the year before last and took forever and a day uh, to come out. And um, I found it to be kind of jarring in that I was expecting the movie because I love the movies, both of them, the Golden Army and the original Hellboy. The original Hellboy was actually the first movie that I had seen with like big special effects, like digital special effects, it was the first film that I felt like things were actually there and it stuck out in my mind. I actually used that movie as kind of a benchmark for digital effects in film. And like, even the way that Broomholm is dispatched in the book is way different oh, yeah. than the film. And so I'm reading and I'm reading and I was kind of like, huh, okay, so this is going to be very different. Um, But, I mean, talk about, we talk about a lot about books where people create worlds. And something about the Hellboy work and and that Mike Mignola has done is it's so, it's so rich with character and atmosphere. And it's very, it's very Shakespearean and very Dante and all of that stuff. And, I mean, the artwork is mind-blowing, particularly, I mean, the art style is really cool. But the color work by Dave Stewart is some of the best color work I've ever seen. He manages to take solid, bold colors and use them in such a way that they all manage to blend together with like while still being solid colors and like no gradients and stuff like that. Um, And I think the Hellboy character, both his origins really cool and kind of the complexity of who he's supposed to be and who he grows up to be. Um, he's supposed to be this weapon of destruction, but was taken in by this, you know, paranormal investigation group that kind of raised them as one of their own. And he grows up to be, I mean, he displays it throughout this entire story that he's on the side of good. Like even in the face of like being welcomed with, you know, parades and gold and, and, you know, eternal life and this and that, and all these things that are pretty much his birthright that he laughs in the face of them because he knows that where he came from is is the wrong side of the tracks, mm-hmm. and he does everything that he can to stay on the you know on the side of good, and um, I just I think he's a hell of a character, and I have a lot more. I already liked him, but I have a lot more respect for the character, like the way that he's written after reading Seed of Destruction. Cool, cool, uh, Stephanie. What about you? I mean, other than the the things we've mentioned, obviously, do you have any other? Have you read any other Hellboy stuff? And uh, what did you think of this first ever story? Um, I've actually been going through BPRD. So I, I read BPRD nineteen forty nine, um, and I read the entire first and second volumes of BPRD, like going way back. Cool. Um, and I think like the whole first volume of BPRD is actually called Plague of Frogs. Oh, okay. Yep. So. Um, I was kind of like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing some similarities <laughs> in, you know, stuff that's happening. Uh, and let's see, I've read a few other, I, I've read like Abe Sapien, I've read Lobster Johnson, mm. um, uh, I'm trying to think, oh, and I read um, The Incredible Screw on Head. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've dabbled in quite a lot of the Mignolaverse, um, but only bits and pieces of it. Uh, I was a big fan of the movies. Those were what came first in my uh, Mignolication education. <laughs> um, and it was really cool to see uh, the Seed of Destruction like the elements that they took from that to turn into a movie. And I thought it was a really good adaptation. And in some ways I thought the movie was actually better, um, which is so, so, so rare. Um, like for instance, you mentioned, um, professor Broom's death. And, um, I thought that was actually handled a bit better in the movie after all was said and done. I thought how they kind of, uh, you know, let you kind of i mean he dies pretty early on in the movies spoilers everyone (laughs) um but i don't know i felt like it worked a bit better in the film than it did in the book but they they're still both effective and i thought um it was everything that i could have possibly wanted it to be it was so great and the kind of stuff that uh i've come to expect from magnolia but you know right from the beginning yeah, I mean, I'm same a, a lot. I, the movies were my first exposure to the character. I'd heard of the character. Movies were my first exposure. And then the few stories I've read here and there, um, the ones that obviously Stephanie had talked about. And I read BPRD 1948, which comes right before Vampire. And one of the biggest things for me coming into this was when Brumald dies, I was extremely shocked. Only because I knew he died in the movies early, but... When you read BPRD, he's like the main focus of a lot of those stories, especially the past stories, obviously. And I did, I was like, whoa, he's gone already. It felt very unceremonious to me when, when he ended up fighting it. But overall, I thought that the thing I liked about that was departure from the movie, and I think we'll get away from comparing it to the movie pretty soon, but was that it, I loved the more personal kind of mystery house aspect of it. I love that they go to this house to investigate this this thing and and it's much more about figuring out clues than you know shooting his gun or, or doing anything crazy and i really like that a lot obviously i there's a lot of cthulhu and a lot of hp lovecraft in, in the in the hell by world and i thought the induction of that and some really kind of there's there's one scene in it that's very it's like this kind of control tower that's like, oh my god, they're opening all six. That, and I, I was like, oh, I don't even know what's going on in this yes. scene. And I love that because it felt, I felt like there's this huge world out there that they haven't even addressed yet. And I'm going to have, there is a wealth of stuff for me to read. And rather than, like Justin was saying, it's a lot to get through, right? There's a lot of Hellboy stuff. Yeah. And previous to reading this, I was like, well, I'm going to have to pick and choose. And it's really daunting and really scary. Now, after I read this story... I'm excited that there's so much out there to read. Cause I feel like I could keep reading it forever and never get to the end of it. That was the part that, that drew yeah. me in that, that tower in the middle of nowhere. It's like, yeah. those idiots are going to wake it up. Like, yeah. Who are you people? This wasn't in the movie at all. So yeah. like seeing that, I immediately wanted to keep going and seeing like, okay, this has got my attention now. Like what's going on here? Yeah. And I'm, sorry, you know, I love, I, I get like, you know, we always talk about, the flaws thing all the time, but like, I love that even though Hellboy is a demon and he's super strong and powerful, but he's still vulnerable at the same time. And you see so much of his struggle, which I think is really, really great. Um, and just a really interesting perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think, I think his inner monologue is just unbelievable in it. I think it's a, it's one of the best parts of the story. Um, I, I, can I just add one more thing yeah, to sure. what you're saying about yeah. the clues? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he does bill himself as uh, the world's most successful paranormal investigator. Yes, he does. And he, <laughs> but they show that. Like, it's not just mm-hmm. a title. You see him actually investigate. And he's smart about it, too, which is refreshing from just, you know, all of a sudden, Case is solved. I'm so smart. Um, That's not Ron like, Perlman's voice, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I never said it was. Um, but yeah, like it's just refreshing to see um, a take on it where the characters are smart uh, and just doing stuff to get to the um, sort of climax of the story. Yeah, absolutely. But- what I was going to say is you, you speak eloquently about the inner monologues mm-hmm. and the captions here and the way the story is put together I don't know for sure what the division of labor is here Mm. 
as someone who's read an awful lot of John Byrne over the years, there is that part of this is him. Mm. That's the sort of thing his characters think and do. And the combination of the two of them, because he doesn't do much horror. Right. So when Mignola's delving into Lovecraft, without using the characters, it's the places and the themes and the, the fact that the edition I have has an introduction by Robert Block, no less, who mm. is one of Lovecraft's correspondents. It's all there. They're the Cavendish expedition to the Arctic. It's at the Mountains of Madness. And they bring weird things back. And it's gothic, but science fiction and horror. And that's Rasputin, I'm assuming, yes. running around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, There's just so much wonderful stuff, so many layers that I think you could reread this three months from now and have a different take on entirely, having then read what comes next. Right. And it seems to feed on itself. That's really clever. And that this is the beginnings, and these were thrown out there at the wall to see what was going to happen. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yet it feels like part of a larger universe already, and all I've read is four issue or reread four issues, and I haven't read anything past it since. Right, I, I, in the same boat. I want to go back and read some more. Yeah, Steve, did you get the name of the the character? Baba Yaga. Okay, <laughs> it was killing me. It was on the tip of my tongue. Oh, and even before I was able to look it up on my phone because my phone was being slow, I remembered it at the last <laughs> second. So. Baba Yaga is the witch that I was speaking of okay. earlier. Um, one of the things about the book that I was noticing today, it's a teeny, teeny, tiny little nitpick. It's just a tiny thing. Um, the switching of the the monologuing between mm. characters, they chose to use the same type, the same box color throughout. Like at one minute, Abe is, is monologuing. The next, you're up to Hellboy. You have to, yourself as the reader, you just have to know that you're switching characters. It would have been cool if perhaps the the, bo- the color of the boxes even was if they had designated colors, you know, like a light red for, for Hellboy and like a, a light blue for, for Abe or whatever. Um, I mean, I love the book through and through, but that was one thing where I did have to go back and kind of be like, well, where was, where's the break off from that character to the next? Um just a tiny, yeah, no, tiny and I agree. Yeah. There was, there, I think there was one moment where it confused me because I think overall the the sense of uniqueness in each of their voices is yeah. very strong. Yeah. yeah. So it took me maybe one or two words to be like, okay, this is Hellboy, this is Abe, this mm-hmm. is whoever. Um, but I do agree with you. I, I, it's just odd in kind of a modern context where I, be, I feel like every single pan, every single thought bubble has a different color yeah. right. and a symbol next to it. Right. That's not there. So I think the way we read modern comics now. It's a little bit different, right? We, it's it's yeah. with the way it breaks down. In what? here, Abe is slightly different. The box is a like it, it's very, very, very faint. It's got like a little <laughs> bit of a blue tint. I didn't even notice yeah. that. Am is I, it consistent my, throughout yeah. the four? Uh, that's issues? what I'm. That's what I'm looking for right yeah. now. Because I yeah. thought when I was reading it, I was having the same problem. Yeah. And when yeah. I read Abe, I'm like, okay, they did change it slightly. Right. right. But I'm gonna go back and look. Now. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, every character does have their their own distinct voice, and the villain is magnificent. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, talk about having a presence on the page and everything like that. And um, I mean, this is really high concept stuff, right? Like Nazis hiring, you know, an occult genius slash Rasputin, more or less, and asking him to help them, you know, turn the tide of the war by bringing something, you know, to them. And he ends up using them to conjure a beast from hell, but then, then the beast ends up basically being birthed into the world elsewhere. Mm. And he, he's not in the place where he was supposed to be. So Broomholm finds him and raises him. Then he, you know, I can't remember. What's the, the name of uh, the villain in this? It's Rasputin. It is Rasputin. Yeah, he doesn't say it in it, but it's Rasputin. Okay, so yeah. he, they didn't give him a name. Yeah, yeah. If you've seen the movies, though, you know it's Rasputin. He, I mean, he mentions, right. like, they tried to, he mentions the way they killed Rasputin. They had to drown him, the river, him yeah. and yeah, all yes. that stuff. But okay, him, now I remember. Throw him in the I haven't river. seen the movie in, like, maybe 10 yeah. years. But they never name, they never yeah. name him in, in this story. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, all those, you know, the little, what's this? Just showing the difference. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Digitally, no. it stands out more because I read it digitally. Yeah, print, print wise, I'm with Steve. I, I couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, I mean, this is an old ass, yeah. like, yeah. you know, first edition copy. Yeah. So, so who knows? Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, little boxes. I mean, the, the voices are so strong. Mm-hmm. The the struggle with between, you know, Hellboy and, and when he's battling this, this giant lizard monster and stuff like that, the description of what uh, I guess like the needles or suckers and mm-hmm. the, like, the tentacles are doing to him, the way his body's going numb and the mystery behind, you know, what's up with his arm and what kind of, you know, abilities as a whole. And they don't even really tell you or even bother to go into that because they obviously had 
this, you know, grand plan for these characters, if it worked, they were going to save that stuff for later. And it just, it reeks of confidence, mm-hmm. you know, from the first couple of pages. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to ask, you know, um, Stephanie, reading this, were you kind of immediately, immediately engaged reading it or did it take a little while for you to warm up reading it? No, um, you, like I said, I've kind of dabbled in a lot of the other stuff and I've read newer Hellboy stuff. Um, so it was cool to go back in character to read like the early uh, stuff of characters I was already invested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I guess I, I think it would be a different if I hadn't had any familiarity with the characters because you kind of don't get a lot of background like Liz's background is kind of like one description from her file. Um, but I knew all of that. So I was kind of just excited to be like, Ooh, there's Liz. Ooh, this is this. And you know, like when, um, Emma, the old lady is talking to Abe and, uh, she's like, you look very sick. And I was like, ah, it's cause it's not people. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's, um, there was, it was fun for me to go back and experience it kind of the way that, you know, most people. Well, not most people, but like a lot of people did when it first came out. It was mm. nice to read all that stuff and kind of just see why people got so invested in this world and why it expanded so vastly. And you can see right off the bat, just even in that first volume, there's just so much potential for spinoff right away. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really incredible to kind of see so much in so little yeah mm-hmm. um i thought it was like mignola is a genius to me yeah and just look at the Broomholm character how many things have you seen him in yeah. he dies in the first <laughs> issue of the first book yeah absolutely right, yeah. how many adventures they allude to and yeah. whether it's the torch of liberty in world war mm-hmm. ii and how he trains hellboy and yeah other investigations they've been on there it's all there yeah yeah and i think that what's interesting i mean i agree with you in some ways is that it's because the very beginning, what you, the the World War Two stuff is so incredibly finely detailed, like down to the the the, the littlest detail. It's and you get to know so many people in that little bit of time in a kind of very in, intimate way, um, and then you get fast forwarded to the future, and it almost feels like the exact opposite. Because like Stephanie was saying, like you don't get like that much of Hellboy's character, that much of Abe's character. You get very, very little of Liz's character. And in, in some ways, I, I, maybe having known more about them from later works, I maybe I forgave it more. Maybe if I read it first, I would just maybe be more of, a, again, one of those mystery things where I'm like, who are these people right. that they're introducing? But I will say that I think, l- l- for me, like Liz was given the least attention other than her showing her powers off. Mm-hmm. But... For with a, even the little bit that is there of Abe, he's immediately a, a breakout character to me. Yeah. Just the way he speaks and his tone, and so you, yeah, you can hear that very prim and proper David Hyde Pierce sort of tone coming out of him. And th- I thought that was great. And he was a character that when he was off p- panel, I was always wanting to come back in. And his sort of odyssey below the house, I thought was yeah. one of the more fascinating things about the book. Him discovering what was down there, and while Hellboy's off, you know, battling these giant monsters, he's discovering more of the very, more, more Edgar Allan Poe kind of House of Usher aspects of the house, which I thought was a very cool dichotomy to have between the, the two characters. Um, Justin, when you were reading it, did, were you immediately invested in it, or did it take you a little while to get warmed up to it? It took me a little bit to get into it, just because of the, I, I, it kept jarring with my ideas about the movie. Um, but once I put that aside, I'll say somewhere in the, in, in the middle of issue two, I, I got going with it. Um, once the frogs started coming out, that's when I was like, all right, this is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, it didn't take me long. I mean, it just, it's four issues. And I, I think as Steve said before, in four issues, they build up a war, a world that has characters that you see, like you mentioned with Liz, next to nothing of an Abe, maybe a little bit more than that, and you instantly want to see more of them. Mm. So the world building in, in the book in, in four issues is terrific. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Bob, I mean, what do you think of Hellboy himself? Like, how would you describe that character? 
Well, we always talk about how much we love flawed characters, mm. and he is certainly that, having come from the other side of the dimensional divide. <laughs> from, he's, he's a demon who wants to do the right thing. It's nurture versus nature, because of Professor Broom, he does want to do the right thing. And at the same time, he's a brute, but he has a heart. It, it's every dichotomy you can imagine lumped into this one wisecracking, tough-as-nails character. How can you not love someone like that? Just perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the idea, and it's only really hinted here. I I think that that idea of what you're fated to do and what you want to do, I, I think, is a very cool pull for this character who on, a, on the surface is this big burly brute, you know, mm-hmm. that he has this very sensitive, very you know, exposed nerve in him mm-hmm. that he needs to figure out what he's going to do with, with, with what he has. Yeah, and those moments with the professor early on, yeah. you're just sort of comforting him, and you don't expect that, and there it is. It's, yeah. it's all there for you to see. Yeah, it, seeing that first scene with the professor, it you really get a lot of who Hellboy is, because he's nurturing, and, and he's caring, and he's he's being subtle, you know, where mm. you don't really, ex- you wouldn't really expect those things with, with how he looks. And I, I love that the way that Mignola and Byrne portray him here is... He's just a man. He seems like a man. Um, he just happens to be this giant red monster thing. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the the way he fights and, and how he always seems to lead with his human hand. You know, he seems to only go to that stone arm when he absolutely has to. Yeah. You know, as if there's like something going on in his head that's saying like, I, I, the, 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 the flesh and blood part of me is what I need to go with. I can't rely on the part of me that is possibly the link to something much more sinister. I think that's interesting. I don't know if that's intentional, but it seems to be that, you know, because he, he talks about how the thing can affect that arm, but even later on when he's fighting them, he always goes with his flesh arm first. So I, I, I think that it's, it's, it's a, it's a cool yeah. thing. Good yeah. Catch. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> observations. Yes. Now, now I have to reread it. Making observations to read. Something I noticed was that, uh, in diving into, into the character of Hellboy, and he had mentioned while talking about the stone hand, and this is what made me think of it, like, he's like, it could take a lot of pain. And I know that because scientists have tried it. He, he words it in some way where it was, like, insinuated that he might have been under, like, under the scalpel or he mm. might have been put through the ringer, mm. so to speak, when trying to figure out his exact nature. And it doesn't seem like he holds that against anybody. And that like caring, um, nurturing attitude that he has, in spite of that, uh, I thought was really something that was outstanding to yeah. read. Well, I mean, he's got to be—he's got to be curious about it, right? Because mm. if it's—if it's this, you know, fabled thing of of destruction and whatnot, I mean, if the top paranormal, you know, scientists that he's working with can't figure it out, I mean, the temptation to give in to you know to Rasputin's offer to help him, you know, to tell him what it means for him to deny that. You know, throughout the years of nurturing, he just he comes to to feel as if he doesn't need the explanation, but the the curiosity will always be there, and perhaps in later stories that drives him towards other you know adventures and other people. Yeah, um, I think it would be cool to kind of see the evolution of that because um, I don't think that I've ever gotten the the story behind uh, the stone arm mm-hmm. stone hand. You you and you see here at the end of the story, right? You see it. At that when that very end, yeah. where he's sort of almost like wistfully looking off, or he's being very internal yeah. about the. Then you hear the last words that Rasputin has to him, yeah. You know, which is that if he dies, he'll never know where he, he comes from. So yeah. you can tell it's something that's sticking with him. I'll tell you this too. Um, we're going full spoilers, right? Oh yeah. Okay. We spoiled all of it. <laughs> so all right. So Ras- Rasputin, he, he eats it at the, yeah. at the end. And boy, does he ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, not only does he go, uh, like, what was it? What was it? Temple of Doom? Yes. The one where yeah. they're all, yeah. okay. Not only does he have that happen to him, but he's still speaking as, like, a charred skeleton that's falling apart. And Hellboy just takes his skull in his, in his hand <laughs> and just crushes it into yeah. dust. Now, Rasputin, is, he shows up in other stories, correct? I have no idea. Uh, how the hell do you come back from that? That's what I want. <laughs> He's Rasputin. Yeah. That's why I got to read volume two. <laughs> yeah. The world is, is worth that, you know, that investigation of its characters and its environments and stuff like that. The art is so, you know, just phenomenal that you can't binge it into yourself. Cause I feel like you'd almost be cheating it in a way 
Not to mention that there are also there are so many spinoffs and BPRDs well within the hundreds oh, yeah. of its stuff. Yes. Um, our good friend Lauren Colleg, she's a big fan of the BPRD and, and Hellboy universe and stuff like that. Um, she probably knows a whole bunch of stuff that, yeah. you know, we're all sitting here scratching our heads. <laughs> um, but I mean, what a cool thing to, you know, want to investigate and a whole world outside of the Marvel and DC stuff to, you know, invest yourself in and pick up one every now and again. And to their credit, to, to Mike's uh, Mike Mignola's credit, whenever I've picked up a Hellboy thing, I know what I knew from the movies, but whenever you pick up a story, they always do a really good job of introducing you to everything, whether it's the BPRD or Hellboy himself, that they give you everything you need to know before you jump into the main, like the meat of mm-hmm. that book. Right. Even Hellboy in Hell is like the last mm-hmm. thing. And I read that first and it gave me everything that I needed to right. feel comfortable within that story. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie, what was your, who was your favorite character in this, this seat of destruction? Um, I, I mean, I think it's obviously for me Hellboy just because you get the most of him. Mm. Um, as far as intriguing goes, Abe is definitely the one that you're kind of like, oh, I'd like to know more about him because you just get, like, Liz doesn't give you, you don't get almost anything with her, and Abe gets a little bit more, uh, but it's obviously purely a Hellboy story. So I think him, but I just wanted to quickly add on, um, if you guys, you were mentioning that um uh, Professor Broomhold, you don't get to see a lot of him, but he is referenced in a lot of stories outside of this. Um, uh, and, you know, for someone who dies, basically, like, right away. <laughs> yeah. um, and if you like him as a character, you should read BPRD 1949, mm-hmm. which does, like, a flashback to one of his early investigations and one of the loves of his life. That one I read, it was excellent. Yeah. Hmm. So, but um, for this Hellboy. Yeah. Hmm. So, wh- what is it about Hellboy that you? I mean, you mentioned. I think I guess you talked about that. You mentioned the flaws and, and stuff yeah. like that. I just think that um, he has this internal battle with um, being good and being like the demon he was meant to be. But he, despite you know, like as a kid. Um, and I know this again because I've read a bit more, but like as a kid and growing up, he had a lot of trouble trying to fit in and be like, you know, air quotes, a normal kid while obviously not being normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And despite all of that, Professor Broom raised him like his own. Mm -hmm. And he does have this genuine affection um, and respect more so than anything else for him. And he wants to do right by him. So even in the face of temptation to know more about who he is and where he comes from, um, he doesn't want to unlock that side of him. And I think despite, you know, like it's kind of like adoption, right? You want to know where you came from, but at the same time, you don't necessarily want to offend the people who raised you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he just has this internal struggle even after, Professor Broom's gone. Like he doesn't want to destroy the memory of him because he raised him to be a better person, and he likes the person he is. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, Bob, what did you what did you think about the the overall plot of the book, um, and especially kind of the that house stuff where you're dealing with sure. that that those obviously that you love so much. It really manages something special in that. There are a lot of Lovecraftian pastiches where people are playing at it, and and that's fun. But this captures the mood of that. It's the and, and Lovecraft borrowed from Poe, as you mentioned, the House of Usher, the, the mm-hmm. decaying family, and the, the bad things that happen when you traffic in the unknown, and so on and so forth. And here, without it being, well, it is in your face. You get you get frog. <laughs> you got frogs. Yeah. But what it is, it's mood. And that's what sets Lovecraft apart from all the people who tried to do what he did. Nothing would happen in a Lovecraft story but mood. Mm -hmm. And here there are the little set pieces. There's a battle. But it's people creeping down hallways. It's seeing, you know, there's the guy in the shadow who we spoiled everything else. It's it's the possessed body of the original Cavendish guy. It's Elihu Cavendish from 300 years before that we've had civilizations in the arctic and they're bringing back monsters and other races and it just begins to become 
a cosmic horror. It isn't just the house. It isn't just this weird people. It's something greater than us. And there it is. And that hits you hard. That's different. We're, we're now mere specks. And there's something greater. And it's happening in your basement, in yeah. this weird house, under with an underwater <laughs> dungeon. That gets you going. There's, there's a The movie's not wonderful. There's a movie from 1953 called The Maze, with a guy named Richard Carlson. It was made in 3D. And it borrows from Lovecraft in that it's someone gets called back to his ancestral home. And there's weird things he breaks off his engagement, goes running off to this castle in Scotland, and I'll spoil a 60-year-old movie. It, it's his uncle, who's hundreds of years old, who is transformed into a giant living frog creature, <laughs> who they keep him in the maze out in the yard and let him wander around, you know, and they spray him down with water, and they, you see the weird footprints <laughs> in the house, and it's very reminiscent, uh, you know, of Lovecraft of those things, and certainly this, and I'm... I, I, I I know that these two guys they're they're my age. They saw this movie on TV on the you know the four thirty <laughs> movie when I did, and it's just great to see it fleshed out in this way. And the the art so captures that movie. The, the words do too, but you're transformed into that dungeon, into those catacombs, into that into where Abe is, and the, the horror mm. when the creature emerges finally. It's still surprising, mm. and you know it's coming. And here he is. Here's the monster, and it. it killer yeah yeah i i think that one of the things i love about it is i love that moment where they just show up at the house and everybody's like we're the we're the cops and we're gonna stay here for a little yeah. while figure out what happened and i love that the the old woman miss cavanagh doesn't really she's like oh you look a little look a little weird it's like hellboy it's just, but it's just kind of accepts it like it's just going yeah. i like the surrealness of that but she's seen some weird stuff yes it's true. it's true she has seen some weird stuff what i also really like is that we have that those great moments, and the, the monster is, is horrifying, but kind of Hellboy's response to it is, I think, what makes the character so great, which is basically like, this is just another day at the office yeah. type of response to it, I think is great, because the reader has that feeling of, oh my god, this is this twisted, horrible thing, but Hellboy just kind of just, I gotta do what I gotta do, and yeah. he like takes out the gun and runs in there, you know, mm-hmm. runs in swinging, or what's gonna happen yeah. to him, you know, and I, I think that's, I think that's pretty awesome, it, it, it and I love the way the story takes those two different things, right? The the quiet, creepy horror and the big bombastic action yeah. and squishes them together in a way that feels like they belong together. Mm. And, and that's a real, real skill yeah. to have. Um, Justin, what about, what about you? you what, what do you think about the plot of the story? I thought the plot was excellent. Um, I'm going to stop comparing it to the movie. <laughs> but I, I, I liked it better, like I had mentioned originally. Uh, I thought that it opened so many more doors and like we had mentioned before those things out in space like mm. that's amazing to me <laughs> to to know like bob was mentioning like we're these tiny little specks on this planet and like oh there is much more out there yeah. than we realize Some scary stuff <laughs> yeah um the plot but the actual plot itself i thought was was super interesting um as soon as they went to antarctica i was like this is cool like mm. what's out there what's happened before here um, and what do you think of that structure? Like, it, it, we get a lot of flashbacks going in and out of that. How, what did that structure make you more interested? Did it, did it confuse you? A little bit of confused. Like sometimes with the jumping around a bit made it a little bit confusing. What was happening before? What was coming? Like what was happening right now? So like I had to maybe like re reread a panel or a page or two just to to get the gist of and keep going. Uh, but it was really good. What another thing that I really liked was that I had no idea that frogs actually had like big significance and then like right after the first issue for people who did not know this they had this whole african myth about frogs and like what their significance is for to, 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 ca- to help people catch up so people would just be like me it was just like i don't say it's, a, it's all right so the dude can turn into a frog not realizing there was something much deeper like there was a deeper meaning there it was actually a really a really yeah. uh, neat little myth there that's mm-hmm. added in yeah yeah frogs in heaven and dogs <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> awesome um we have, we've talked a lot about the story. We have not talked that much about the art, the look of the book. Um, Stephanie, what is it about uh, the Mignola art style that that draws you to it, that turns you away? Um, I think everything kind of, to me, looks like gargoyles. <laughs> um, but in a really cool way. Like, when you're looking at architecture, um, like, you know, if you travel to cities, 
people often forget to look up when they're walking around. You're really distracted by the things that are at eye level. Um, but if you look up, there's incredible things. And some of those things are these intricate designs and um, paintings and uh, just really neat stuff like again like gargoyles and to me looking at Hellboy it's like a story with gargoyles that's kind of come to life it feels like hieroglyphic hieroglyphics or something um and the the kind of it's like noir and uh, I'm just shouting themes and <laughs> genres no, but and you're stuff, hitting but you're hitting all yeah you're hitting points. the good ones yeah. yeah yeah like it's just all of these things mixed together and make it so appealing to me. Like um, just the way he draws almost so simplistic uh, and leaves a lot to the colors um, to really bring home. Um, it's simplistic and not all at the same time. And it's just one of the most unique styles uh, as far as comic art goes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to say, um, we had said before it was Dave Stewart. It's actually Mark Chiarello who's the colorist on this. Oh, for this one? Yeah, I mean okay. Dave Stewart is obviously the classic Hellboy colorist, but on this first volume, it's Mark Chiarello and um, I, I just cover colors by that's uh, that's what confused oh, me. Oh, the cover colors of Dave Stewart. Yeah. Uh, so and but what you said about them rings true. The colors are absolutely astounding. Yeah. And the mood that they bring, you know, to to, to the world. And to the the visuals of the story is is really pretty breathtaking. I mean, mm. like somebody was saying, it's un, it's un, really unlike any other I think art style out there in any sort of mainstream or indie comics. It, it he he is able to take these characters, and I think Stephanie calling them gargoyles is very apt because a lot of them look like they're made of stone, right? They're they're yeah. they're living stone, but somehow that it doesn't look posy or or. or you know, stayed. It, it's all very dynamic and, and a sense of motion and a cinematic sense to it that I, I think you wouldn't, if you just said they look like stone, you wouldn't think would be there. Mm-hmm. And the designs themselves, you know, Hellboy's design is iconic, but I think the, the style he, in which he depicts humans, I, I think it is very unique. I, I love the way Abe is designed. You know, everything has, everything belongs to a, a world and a sense, even in this first volume. You don't read this, and there's nothing in it that goes. That doesn't seem like it belongs there. Right. I mean, Bob, yeah. what do you think? I find it hard to narrow down what his style would be. Mike uh, Mignola here. There's a thanks to Jack Kirby early right. on, and some of the blockiness of it. Some, mm-hmm. but some of the bombastic anatomy and it's leaping through the panels, the layouts of that. But it's also EC horror comics. Mm. It's Ross Andrew who did a long run on Spider-Man and did Wonder Woman and Metal Men for DC in sort of quirky oddness to, to poses that are not in real anatomy. But the expressiveness is what sets it apart from so much other stuff that this could have been. Now, this was part of the, if I remember, when they were doing Legend. Yes. When, when you know, that was going to be their version of Image, so to speak, right. even before. And there were a lot of, individualist came to the fore then with his Arthur Adams and so mm. on. And, and Mignola's the guy who came through, who seemed to have lasted and put something spectacular out there over and over again. It's 20 years now. And it, we, because of our best ofs a couple of years ago, we were reading these and mm-hmm. it, he's gotten better. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Steve. Um, I mean, in, in regard to the art, I think so much of, what makes the book what it is, is, I mean, of course, what is there is beautiful, but I think also what isn't there is also gorgeous. The use of shadow and light against the colors and against the drawings and stuff like that creates this world. And if you think about it, it's very apropos in, in regard to, you were asking about story before and about, you know, what do we think of, of um, I guess, like the villains and just the, the overall story. Mm-hmm. I think it really aids to the world of that you're pulling from this all this Lovecraftian stuff, but you're dealing with beings of pure evil. You know, we read a lot of comic books where you have characters that are villains and they have their own origin stories and they're all these elaborate things like that. It's the simplicity of the origin of the evil that we're dealing with in these stories that these things are like what goes bump in the night. They are the things within the shadows. 
that they are these, you know, Leviathan-like creatures that embody the very essence of, you know, what is wrong within the darkness, and that's what they're fighting. A being that all it wants is to obliterate everything on the planet. Yeah. Why? Just because. All it wants is to envelop the world in in darkness, darkness, to be just like that thing. And that's all it that's all it craves. It's all it wants. It doesn't have all these elaborate motives. It's just to be to be the thing that brings about the end. Justin. Yeah. I just wanted to jump back to the art for a second, because mm. uh, Bob echoed a thought that I was thinking and I was gonna jump in with is and I think of it like this uh, with the other hobbies that I have, baseball, video games. You could look at something like Uncharted, a video game, and then you look on, at Uncharted three and you see the growth that the mm. studio had there. It's nice to be able to pick up. Now, I've picked up and looked at Hellboy in Hell, and I've appreciated Mike Manola's art tremendously. His style is so distinct. But it's nice to be able to go back and look at the origins of when he's first drawing the character and then to see it progress. Like, that's what I'm really excited about is that I'm reading volume one and seeing, like, story and art progress and progress and progress to where it gets to like you know hellboy and hell which was the latest thing which is fantastic it's mm-hmm. it's exciting to be able to have that journey yeah. with them and to see them grow as creators and artists absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. i mean even look i have volumes one and two in this i have the the library edition of, of the first volume and it has the first two stories in it and if you look at the end of volume one and look at the first page of volume two it or you can already see the progression it's like a million yeah. miles that's exciting you know which is, is really really cool um so yeah, I, I want to just go around and see if we get some closing thoughts a, a, about the book. Um, Bob, why don't you start us out? Sure. The movies are fun. And it's a great introduction, so you, you could come into this not cold. And they're the characters you know from the movies, but they're deeper and richer and broader. It's a it's It's as much fun, but in a different way. It is that creepy terror thing that, well, I want to read this with the lights on. <laughs> I don't necessarily want to, you know, it's perfect for Halloween in that sense, but you want to be sure there are other people around. It is a great way to be introduced to this world this way as opposed to the, what you did before. And I think going back to the movies, you will carry this depth with you into mm-hmm. those characters and they'll mean even more moving forward. Nice. Cool. Steve, closing thoughts. I think Hellboy brings about a sophistication within comics that doesn't happen all the time. And I think it's one of those rare gems in comicdom in general that when you read it, you're reading something that is pulling from so many different sources and not only doing it justice, but doing its own thing with those, you know, sources, those tales and those characters and the Lovecraft influences and all the things that make it what it is. It's a perfect blend and a perfect mixture that created this entire universe, this Hellboy universe that there is, and the BPRD and the Abe Sapien stuff. Um, when you're to see, like, it's called Seed of Destruction, and it couldn't have, you know, it's this is where it began. And if you're a Hellboy fan, or if you're you're looking to get into it, this is such an awesome place to start. But it's already so good. Sometimes you go back and on stuff and you're like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's great now, but you know, when it started out, it was pretty rough. Um, that is not the case with Hellboy. It, like I said, it, it reeks of a passion and, and just, uh, you have two creators, John Byrne and Mike Mignola that really had a, a vision and a passion for this world and this character. And they give you something that just makes you want more of it. And I, I, in that regard, the book is a complete and total success. And like, I, I now want to once again go out and find more Hellboy stuff and dig in. <laughs> cool, Justin. You know, I was thinking uh, as it, it, this turn was coming to me. The last time I was on the show, I championed Invincible, and I told people that look, this book's 110 issues in. It's worth it to go back and read it. It's easy for me to say that I've read it all, mm-hmm. uh, but those stories were that good. It's time for me to take my own advice here and say I'm way behind on this, but I could not be more excited to pick up where this book leaves off and to catch up. 
it's that type of series. I've been wait. I, I thought with Hellboy, maybe I would read the good stuff, the stuff that was recommended to me. But no, I want to. I want to pick up and read this thing all the way through. It begins. Awesome, awesome. And Stephanie, I have to say, like one of the main reasons I wanted to do this was because of you and because of your, your love of the Hellboy universe. Um, what what's kind of your closing thoughts on Seed of Destruction? Um, you know, after reading a ton of other things from uh, Mignola, this just didn't let me down going back and. Um, it makes me just excited to continue exploring this universe and to cross my fingers for more Hellboy movies and just more of all of this. Um, I want to keep seeing new stories, new characters, uh, and new ways to see this universe expand. Because I think, you know, Mike Mignola kind of shares it and now because there's just so much to it and a lot of people contribute and I think that's part of what gives it charm. Um, and Seed of Destruction, just, it really is the seeds that get sown for the whole series, for everything. And I love it. Like, it, it just, it you can see, like Steve was saying, you can see the passion um, for the work. And we've been referencing, uh, you know, how much he clearly loves Lovecraft in this and the book is dedicated to Lovecraft before his wife yeah. <laughs> and um, I think that you just kind of shows that this is comics at the heart of all of it is just um, fan fiction oh. alright I think that's a good way to close it out our talk of Hellboy Seed of Destruction um, if you guys read it along with us uh, send in your thoughts and we'll read them out next week. We'll be back with our first regular show in a few weeks uh, next week. Um, if you guys haven't read it yet, we I highly recommend that you do. Uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic story. Um, and it's interesting because having read stuff in the uh, past this, you can see that Mike Mignola was able to take what I think what he helped learn from John Byrne into the rest of, uh, of what he did, obviously, which is very, very cool. So, um, so much to catch up on, but so cool that there's so much to, to take on. Um, make sure you guys get in touch with us at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, and podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. I'm, I'm at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve? I am at Dead underscore Anchorus. Stephanie? I'm at Hello Cookie. Justin? I'm at Jeroke, Oak, J-O-R-O-A-K. And Bob, your email address? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back with a regular show next week, but that will do it for this special book club edition of Talking Comics for Steve. Thanks for hanging in. Bob. Ex Libris. Stephanie. Bye. And Justin. Adios. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. Continued.